we might find that we're, we're doing certain things that have a great impact. And me and Mike might do the same technique on the same athlete, but have two different responses because of the way that that person perceives one of us. I mean, if this, if mm-hmm. say like Mike done one yeah. of these interventions and they know Mike, and Mike comes in with no shoes on and looks like some sort of, you know, terrorist Buddha guy, right? They might have a great response to him, but with me, they're already like, oh, I don't like him. He's English. He's, you know, ginger. But you know what I mean? So I've been doing body work for years now, and there are certain guys that I do body work on that no matter what I do to them, they get better. No matter what I do. And when we were in clinic, uh, I, I had to do like a thousand clinical hours for acupuncture. When we were in clinic, we'd see people come in for anxiety or for shoulder pain or for neck pain. And I'd see some of these treatments. I'm like, yeah, these are these are terrible treatments. But the people who come out mm-hmm. feeling better. Why? Because they believed they would. That was Alex Brooker and Mike Wadango. And you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exogen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely fusiform-shaped weights. They're light in nature, 100, 200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kreienhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change. It's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power. And it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10 meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body and ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine tuning it. And that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body. This is next level stuff and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com and get your exogen gear today. In coaching, oftentimes we hear of the anecdote of the team that won the championship in 1998 and they did a certain type of conditioning or strength training or maybe a tactical, tactical, technical thing. And they're still doing it, you know, 10 or 20 years later because it worked that year. I I think that's the epitome of this idea of um, how we rationalize um, success. But I, I think that just that anecdote can go across the board in coaching, uh, be it an individual sport, uh, gains in a KPI, like a vertical jump or a weight, a weightlifting, relevant weightlifting increase, things like that. We always uh, tend to generate reasons for why, why was the training program successful? It's very helpful to take a critical look at that. And I can't think of two better guests today to talk to, to just really, especially even just for my own, my own brain, I'm very optimistic and idealistic 
And just to talk to coaches who really make me think critically, I value that a lot. Our two guests today are Mike Wadango and Alex Brooker. Um, Mike and Alex, uh, Alex who goes by Brooker, uh, met when Brooker interned for Mike Wadango at DeFranco's gym about a decade ago. And now they have a podcast together, The Mike and Brooker Show, in addition to their own coaching careers. Alex Brooker is the owner and operator of Pathfinder, which is a private training service focused on performance psychology. And in addition to his traditional schooling, as well as the elite athletes that Alex has coached, he is now pursuing a PhD in self-hypnosis at the University of Bern. Mike Wadango is currently a coach, writer, and owner at Freak Strength. He's been on this podcast before about two years ago. Mike has mentored under some of the best coaches in the world, such as Buddy Morris, James Thinker smith He started his career working at DeFranco's gym. And Mike has coached athletes of all levels from many different professional sports to Olympic medalists to youth and everywhere in between. Um, Mike also, uh, just like uh, Brooker, has evolved his coaching into the mental side of things. Uh, Mike does a lot of work with pain science and is pursuing acupuncture degree and certification. We have this triad, really, of, of pain science and rehab, athletic performance in the traditional sense, and then the mental aspect of things. And we're going to get into that heavily today. So really, you could say the topic is why and how do we adapt to training or rehab program? So we're going to get into elements of that. Uh, we're also going to get into a lot of traditional type uh, elements in this show. Mike Brooker and I are going to talk about training points such as the context and use of play-based training, competition selectively. We're going to talk about training transfer and some long-term uh, tra development elements. And this is just a fun show with three pretty diverse viewpoints, uh, three unique individuals having a conversation on some really critical points in the training process. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Let's get on to episode 238 with Mike Godango and Alex Brooker. So one of the things that I know both you guys are doing uh, outside of both working um, in the private sector, at least, is that you guys have moved into, I guess you could call it more alternative modes of training and recovery. So clearly you guys have had a lot of success doing uh, what we would call the staples, strength and speed and function. But I know that, uh, Mike, you've, you're working on uh, acupuncture, PhD, or doctorate, uh, do or doctor of acupuncture, I guess it's probably not a PhD program, is it? Uh, and then, Brooker, you have experience with things like um, hypnotherapy. And I, I always do wonder, just, you know, at what point... I think that so often it's like, at what point do we stop splitting hairs over some of these things that are common, like strength and even even speed on a level? I think speed's a little more complex than strength. But at what point do we stop splitting hairs and move on? And so, I mean, for me, I don't think I'll ever truly leave some of the big rocks. I'm always interested in them, just in my own workouts, always come back to them. But I think as I've grown, I can't help but think about all these other things that that are really important. And so, share with me a little bit about each of you guys' journey beyond I guess, just the traditional and into some of the other elements in performance. You know, we had, we had Dr. Yeses on our podcast and he was, he's very, very particular over certain exercises, when to do them, why to do mm -hmm. them, how to do them. And I, I got a lot of messages sent to me saying, oh, you know, you must've been biting your tongue, you know, because I, I bet you disagree with him big time on stuff. I said, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like it, there it's, I, I think I said this on, on your podcast. I said, to me, it's just chicken soup, you know, it, it's so I, when it comes to the general strength training, that's what it is to me. It's general. So like, Hey, you like squats, hit squats. 
you don't like squats, oh, you think it hurts your back or you think it hurts your knees or whatever, okay, we're going to find something else. But we're going to do, you know, a, a quad dominant lower body exercise. We're going to do a hamstring lower body exercise. We're going to do, I guess, I guess anterior, posterior, right? Even with lower and upper, right? I, I don't think it needs to be, I don't think it needs to be anything groundbreaking, right? Because even if there is a difference between the two and transferability, or between exercises and transferability, how much of a difference is it really? Mm-hmm. In, in uh, Ralph Mann's mechanic of, mechanics of sprinting, right? What were there? Seven, seven performance-related limiting factors? Yep. You have anthropometric potential. You have flexibility potential, speed potential, all these different things. And there's only, of those seven, you have one thing that you can actually control, and it's development rate. So if there's seven things and they're split up equally, that's 15%. 15% of who you are of an athlete, you actually have some kind of control over. And that's how quickly you develop some of these things and, and sustain some of these things that you develop. So if I have an athlete who is, who, who's going to be a stud regardless, and I have an exercise that may be 90% effective versus your exercise that's, I don't know. 93% effective. And that's only in the 15% realm. And that exercise is just one exercise out of a ton that we could possibly develop. Man, I'm really not losing too much sleep over it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like as long as there's some kind of perceived balance in my in my head with these guys, it's chicken soup. You know, and I think when I went back and saw Mike, I mean at the beginning, when we first met, Mike was working with you, sure, some some big names and big guys, but as it's only enhanced as the years have gone on. I do actually want to say also that Mike's always got his biggest clients whenever I've been around, you know, just, <laughs> just you know, positive influence, you know. <laughs> but one of the things I noticed in him, and it certainly impacted me, was Mike's really looking at also just, like, health of these guys. Like he said, they're going to be studs anyway, especially, and I think the more high talented people you work with i think you the room to improve them in the gym gets smaller but the room to really fuck them up gets a lot higher so it's really like mitigating risk as much as possible and i mean during this whole corona period and we had a long off season especially with like the nhl guys i work with we were doing so much stuff in their bedrooms and they've got barely any equipment and then when we started meeting back up and then working in the gym again all right some of their strength numbers have gone down but they were feeling good. They're back on the ice now. They don't really say that they they feel like they didn't have an off season. And I mean, that was a completely different preparation period where we just maybe used some bands if they were lucky that they had them and their body weight. It starts really throwing things, certain things up in the air for me. So I think it just really, it also, it's very important to mention who are we working with? Are we working with like kids? Are we working with high school guys that are talented or not? Or are we, are we working with the top elite performers in the world? Because every context is so different. So that's my two cents. Yeah. And, and to, to harp back on that too, I was at a seminar years ago where a guy named Landon Evans was speaking. And Landon Evans, I mean, he was, he is a sharp, sharp dude. Yeah, he's a smart I, dude. Yeah. I, I really liked him. And he does the nutrition and he does training for his, for his, or he did the nutrition and did the training. I don't know what he's doing now, but 
he said, yeah, guys are arguing. Some of the coaches over here are arguing over, you know, what hamstring exercise to do. I'm like, you guys care that all our best player ate all day was a bagel and Fruit Loops? Like, does anyone does anyone give a shit about this? You know, he's like, our best player just ate nothing but a bagel. Can, can someone please fix this? Like, it doesn't matter what you're doing in the gym. If you can't properly recover, what, we're arguing over exercises. And you guys and, and my high school athletes. They're, they're, they're drinking Mountain Dew and eating Skittles. Like, this is what they do all day. You know, they're walking into the workout with drinking like one of those red lines, right? So it, I, I, I think there's just so many things that we have to focus on, specific exercises. I mean, if it's between the squats and the single leg squat, like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? I, man, I, I, we just got bigger fish to fry. I, there's, there's just too much shit on the shelf to worry about. I think that... A lot of times, I think you have to get outside. I did an Instagram post about this a while ago, but you have to first step outside the bubble to see that what you were really painting, painstaking yourself about in the bubble really wasn't worth all the, you know, the hair splitting you did. Even to the point where I feel like people who go out and actually coach a sport, maybe it's on a lower level, you actually coach the sport. And then you can maybe reframe or spend time in a sports medicine context or like a high performance context. And because I'd like to talk about just diverting attention and because I, I agree. I mean, it's like whether you do one of the things I, I feel like the the most apparent offshoot and this isn't like a, a big one, but the slight turn away from hair splitting, like like you said, like what type of lift, what type of hamstring is just taking a more play based initiative. I'd be curious to your thoughts on that in the sense of you now that maybe that's not as true for pro athletes, but younger groups, the idea of instead of coaching something a certain way, just putting obstacles and barriers out and letting athletes problem solve themselves asking athletes to do a lift different ways or, or making even almost a game of ways to execute a lift or games where you're staying in a crouch position for an extended period of time you have to play and manipulate i feel like at least as i've seen it the first a big shift that's happening in at least for for, for just it let's just say for all intents and purposes inside the box of physical preparation as I see it, is a play-based initiative where we're not obsessing over the exact quote-unquote perfect thing, but we're letting people play with things and um, or play with movements and and experience movements and, and be creative. And maybe it's not, you know, draconian, but I think that at least is heading in the right direction because it puts more power in the hands of the athlete. And within play, too, you have a huge mental shift, you know, versus me sitting there coaching someone through everything, acting like I've, you know carefully selected all these perfect exercises for you because you know i somehow know and i i, I just feel like a, like especially with i see with younger athletes too a lot of the play-based stuff i feel like that is working its way up in the system so that's at least how i see it at least a very uh, shift that's not like crazy you know it's not like not like those people who are strength coaches decided to go do acupuncture no, i'm just kidding mike but like <laughs> but uh but i don't I, what, I mean what do you guys think about that type of type of thing within what you've seen I mean, I like I, I like it because I mean, if you look at now, you know, especially in Australia, they seem to really push the the sports science realm ahead. It seems to be, and especially like from where I am here in Central Europe, we're quite far behind everywhere else in terms of the what the national like the whole nation's doing. I mean, if you look at really talented, let's say if we take Brazil and soccer, right? Half the kids that get really, really good, they're playing with no shoes, they're playing different games when they're young. That's not to say that a block-based approach can't work, but I'm not sure how, I'm not sure what the the rate of learning really is from, you know, 
if, if we're in a sport, it seems to be that the person that can assess the situation, build a mental model, which is going to be effective and then execute on it as quick as possible seems to be the one that wins. So how you do that, if you're not playing games the whole time and being in certain situations and feeling comfortable and, you know, learning all the other intricacies of the game too. I like that approach a lot. And, uh, I know that one of our next guests that we have on our podcast coming up is one of the, one of the leading guys in the UK in, in the research of this. I can't remember now the, the terminology of this uh, in terms of skill development. It escapes my mind, but I do like it, mate. And I think that we're going to see that that's going to come back because that was how it was back in the days. And there's nothing new under the sun, right? Everything just keeps revolving and we'll see it again come up and then it will pass again. And then it will come back to this whole idea that, you know, we know exactly what you need to do and you need to be doing these movements to these depths at these angles with these weights and it needs to be this percentage of this number and, you know, we'll come back around and it probably won't make that much of a difference to be completely honest. Yeah. I, I, I think the games are, let me, let me use a non-committal word or are interesting. What it comes down to the things that improve performance, sports performance from a legitimate field standpoint that you would be utilizing the games for would be situational exposure, right? The whole purpose of playing the games is so they can get another glimpse of the game from a different view so they can perceive it in a different way or maybe a better understanding of what it is that they're supposed to do and to realize the positions that they're supposed to be in. If the games are not achieving that, then you're just spinning your wheels. So, hey, you want to strengthen the quads in this position and whatever, the, I, I, I don't know. And, and even, even in even in situational games, right? Uh, Two-minute drills for football. Pressure's on, you're exhausted, time to understand how to do this defense and that defense while you're in this state. Maybe, right? But it, I don't think, I think a lot of games are poorly executed, right? Where they are harping on the wrong things during the games or during the practices in the simulations where it's not necessarily... In a fatigued state, you need to make this decision. It's make this decision in a non-fatigued state, in a ready state, in a stable state, and actualize this decision, right? We stimulate, adapt, stimulate, adapt, stimulate, adapt. We never stabilize that adaptation, nor do we actualize that adaptation. Sta the stabilization is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm good at it, I'm bad at it, I'm good at it, I'm bad at it. And then the, real, the, the actualization is the realization of it, like now I can do it in my sleep. Right. Like I re I understand that this defense is calling this and this and I have to be here. And when he does that and he looks that way, I have to be over there. And that's why older professional athletes, even though they lose a step, they don't lose a step. I have a guy, Devin McCourty, who every year he you know, he's, he's in the top five at some point in fastest players in the NFL. He's not as fast as he was when he was 19 years old or 21 years old when he first came out. Maybe it's by five hundredths. Maybe it's by a tenth in a 40, but he's not as fast as he was, but he still, he gets more interceptions now than he did then. Why? He finds himself in better positioning. Why? Experience to the game. Why? Experience. That's it. He's more, there's more exposure to every situation. So it needs to be appropriate, appropriate exposure to situational play when it comes to games in order to yield any kind of benefit. And 
to say go out and do this for just the heck of it, I don't know if that's the right the right way. I, I think there needs to be more a, a lot of thought that goes into these games, and not every athlete is going to benefit from the same game. I, I understand that. So I'll reply by saying I, I think that if we're talking about pure tra- – this is just me – from my, I'll say this is coming from experience of what other people say, because my experience is more in individual sports. So this is just one of those things where this is Joel's intellectual wheels, what I conjecture. Again, uh, sometimes intellectual, intellectualism, as they say, can, is the, the crutch and devoid of experience. So like, I don't have a ton of experience working directly with football players as per their game needs and models. So I, I could say like when I, I guess you could say was in the scholastic setting and I didn't have the option to do anything outside of my box. Hey, you are here to do their physical pre- preparation. You, you know, you can't do, obviously you're not on the, the courts with these athletes. You're not teaching them to do anything else. It's the way it is versus I think in the private sector, you can kind of create your own superhero a little bit. Maybe we'll talk about that. Like I'm, I'm a coach. I am this and I can do this. And we we almost form these I think the way you can now reflect on training as a whole is different. But when you're just in one system, I know that at the very least, t- turning things into a game uh, at, le- at the very least has a very positive effect on the athlete mentally and emotionally uh, as, as per the rest of the workout in many cases. You'll see, uh, I mean, if I, I, the way I see it is if I can get dopamine going better, if I can get a more positive stimuli there, ideally the rest of the workout should be a little bit better. So just from a general, just biochemical, is the athlete having a good time? Are they challenged on all levels yeah. multilaterally? I think that's good. But as you said, Mike, is that going to make, is that going to feed into the game? And I, I've read a lot of like Michael Zweifel's, he wrote an article for Just Fly Sports not too long ago talking about how even games like like tag, is it a good game? Yes. Is it great for kids? Sure. Once you're an older athlete, you know, a lot of coaches might warm up with tag on, let's say, the collegiate level. But it's not compared to football. There's a lot of shortcomings, how you're tagging someone, how you're actually tackling someone. There's like there's the higher level you go. There's more disconnects and more disconnects between the game and and you might be playing like it'd be at a childhood game. And that's why I do um, James, uh, not the thinker Smith, <laughs> Jamie Smith, you have strength because I know you, we have James, the thinker Smith background here. So usually when I say a name, I have to like be careful, but he did a really <laughs> cool webinar for just fly sports back in, maybe it was April or May. And, and he, you know, I know the you know, emergence and Michael Zufel and, and Sean Michigan, all these guys have, but he's got like, I mean, I, I was so blown away and like behind, not behind, but like I, I was so uh, kind of even lost in what he was doing because it was so complex in the sense of here's 1v1s, 1v2s, 2v1s, 3v2s, and all with at least more carryover as to the complexity and chaos of the game. And I was like, okay, there's a big difference between the games I'm playing with my athletes just to keep them happy and interested and make the, the general session better. And then these games with a really specific targeting, I was like, okay, if I was going to be really sell my program as per, you know, we're improving your perception and reaction and game speed and transfer. I would want to feel like I was really competent at doing what those guys are doing, you know, emergence and Jamie Smith and stuff like that. At least that's the way I see. It. I feel like, yeah, there's the games that are just for fun, you know, general, maybe they reciprocate what you're trying to do on a higher level. And then there's really attuned, really targeted by people who are really educating themselves on that level. And I think most of the games that most of us play are just the ones that are more, does just make a more robust athlete. Let's, we're in this structure, so let's do better with what we have, even though it's not going to be draconian. At least it's something. At least that's the way I've, I've seen it. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. It's like, why does anyone tra- – it's like training arms, right? If, if, you want, if you want a kid to feel good, let's say they got a low HRV score, 
and you want to do an extended warm-up, but instead of doing the extended warm-up, you have them go play a game, and all of a sudden they start feeling better, the dopamine surging, right? They, they, they start increasing their ability to perform. Well, hell, it served a purpose, right? It's just like arms. What Training fucking arms, what does it do? For a lot of guys, well, it makes them feel better, mm-hmm. right? You're Agreed. training arms. Guys get more energy at the end of the workout when they're training arms than they had when they're doing the med ball throws or plyometric jumps. Like, oh, all this stuff, the arms were the thing that they were waiting for all workout. Why? Because it makes them feel good. So if you can make these guys feel good earlier in the workout, you can yield a positive adaptation later on, then the, then you're not wasting your time, especially if guys need that extra pick-me-up. So, yeah, everything has got – absolutely everything has its place. I've been doing tread sled sprints with guys for years, decades, not decades. I've been coached for, I've been coaching 14 years now, but for probably 12, 12 to 14 years, I've been doing tread sled sprints with my guys. It was one of the first pieces of equipment I bought. I have guys that I've had since they were in seventh and eighth grade on the tread sled once a week, all the time, all year round, once a week, they're on it this year. They're in college. They're freshmen. They're sophomores in college. They've been doing it for years. These kids have been doing it for years. And sometimes they have intensity. Sometimes they don't. When did they have the most intensity that I've ever seen these kids have is when I put another kid into the group who is super, super competitive. So I have two potential first rounders in the same group and another division one baseball player. That's a catcher and another, you know, D three baseball player. That's all in the same group. I mix one more person into the group, and all of a sudden it's a competition. And now these guys are like, there's a fire lit under mm-hmm. their ass. And now from here on out, these guys are working harder than I've ever seen them work on a tread sled. So, hey, you want to throw a game in there? Whatever is going to yield the benefit that you want, the competition breeds success. You know, as long as it doesn't make these kids crumble, I'm all for it. And even the kids that sucked, that couldn't keep up, even they were turned up to another level. So there is, there absolutely is a benefit to mixing that type of stuff in. I don't want you to think that I was like poo-pooing it or anything. I'd like to take a break from the show to share with you a significant pendulum that has swung in my own personal training practice. Between my mid-20s and mid-30s, I was this veritable pre-workout fiend. I was in this place where I absolutely had to have a pre-workout before every training session And after just seeing kind of the adrenal response flatline that that created, amongst other things, uh, at age 35, I've been sick of that that idea for a few years. I hadn't been taking pre-workouts for a few years, and I've been starting to get into um, more of uh, Logan Christopher's like mental training, uh, hypnosis prior to training sessions. I love that so much, I started to get into the products of his company, Lost Empire Herbs. So the first herb formula that I got was the Phoenix formula. This is far different from that generic bottle of Jinko Biloba that you might see at the drugstore. As Logan says, these are are not your grandfather's herbs. This earthy and immaculately well-sourced compound, uh, my first dose of it, I felt this unique and subtle tingle through my whole body. And I instantly knew that I was onto something that was really going to change the way I looked at this portion of my training and well-being. Uh, Within two weeks of using the Phoenix formula, honestly, my lifts had gone up 10 to 15 pounds, my big lifts. Fast forward a few more months, and at age 35, I had hit the highest vertical jump I had hit in really about the last four to five years. I know herbalism was a really big and important part of that, and it's a really big and important part of my life and well-being today. I love what Lost Empire Herbs is doing, and I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor of this show since I'm a user and believer in their products. And as we live in this increasingly chemical-filled world... 
they shine such a bright light on using the power of nature to help us become stronger and more resilient human beings. So if you want to get a hold of this herbal supplementation to boost your own performance, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly, and you can see my own personal top recommended herbs that I use, including shiliagit resin, as you may have heard Grant Fowler talk about on a recent show, and then get 15% off that purchase. So again, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly, that's J-U-S-T-F-L-Y, and you can go ahead and see my top recommended herbs and get 15% off your purchase. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I can see how on, like I said, I, I can see how on when it comes to transfer. Like you mentioned, Doc Yesis and and sports skill transfer and special exercises. If that's our our lens, our only lens, yeah. Like I don't think you know, and I I, I love Doc's work, one by twenty, and that mentality. Like you know, some of that stuff and the skill, like that's had a really big impact on me. But if you're under completely that lens, I well, I don't know. I mean, I, Doc did say how the Soviets were um, would place like the volleyball team came to play the U.S. volleyball team in the late seventies. And maybe they knew where they were going to whip our ass. I don't know. But like they were playing soccer that morning, yeah. just just hanging out, playing, rolled out, played soccer. The coach said it was for <laughs> mental relaxation. And then they went and whipped, a, whipped our ass like in volleyball later. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because we love, we really want to always know why. And like, if I'm going to do this, it's going to give me this result. And, you know, but it's so hard to know. It is so hard. And I mean... Would you both also agree that go back to the beginning of your career, you were more certain on a lot of things than you are now? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I. What do you think, Joe? I, I think I'm only starting to understand that you know how much I don't know. I, I and right. I, that's where this my podcast is starting to head is the complexity, you know, more of complexity type models. Yeah, for sure. Because I just don't know. I'm sure that you can take one <laughs> thing, you can take one thing, and it can be the perfect thing and that same thing could end up being a disaster you know i've got one of the summers i worked with uh, the hockey team i worked with here they were going on and on and on and on and on that they want, really wanted to play soccer at least once a week for the games i mean they can't run properly because they're hockey players so that's oh, embarrassing they've got like chocolate ankles you're just waiting for for, for an injury to happen and but at the same time they're having fun like you said and then you start thinking well then you, you use your cognitive bias and you're really trying to reinforce, oh, well, they're getting, you know, some sort of, you know, they're getting circulation going on here and it could really be recovery. But then you start seeing a couple idiots trying to, you know, <laughs> fight each other and then they're going <laughs> foot into full sprints and they're risking certain things and the floor's a bit slippery. And you want, you know what I mean? And then before certain hockey games, guys like to play a thing called two-touch where they just get a football up and they're trying to keep it up in the air and they're knocking it back and forth to each other that's part of their routine and and what they're doing does that make is that a great warm-up for them to go onto the ice with on a physiological level probably not but on a psychological level on a cultural level yeah because they love to laugh at each other and try and smash the ball at one of them to to get them out the game you know so i don't know man i think we really want to know why but the more that we start learning about things and we can go deeper into stuff we start realizing right well that don't make any sense anymore we can throw that out and I don't know. I don't know. It's hard, man. It's really fucking hard to know what actually makes a difference. And you can always find reasons and examples uh, that, that make you, that, that you can throw all your ideas out, you know? Yeah. I think it's very easy to rationalize, pretty much create a, a fantastical story or, a, or this, this is why this works. You know, here's, a, here's what I'm doing. And, you know, it would be a fun exercise in 
maybe in the educational systems to say, hey, here's a hex bar deadlift, write 10 reasons why you think this will help an athlete or just try to write 50. I don't know, just make up as many as you can, you know, and it would be interesting to see where you ended up with on that line. I, I, one thing, though, uh, Brooker, to, to what you're saying, I do think like, you know, whatever, wherever you want to go with this term, I like the term as above, so below. You could look into fractal geometry and Mandelbrot's and those types right, of things, right. but you always will see a piece of the whole wherever you go. And so I always, you know, almost like it's just, maybe it's just a matter of principle. It's just like, if I'm training an athlete in the gym, I need to have just for me personally, it's like, I need to have a piece of your sport emotionally, perceptually, cognitively, maybe it's just emotionally, maybe it's just, I want the same, like, you know, Jay Schrader's type, like I want the same intensity, like everything, this mental intensity, Mm -hmm. something should mirror that. I don't know. Can I prove, can I put that in a scientific study? I'm not sure. But to me, at least it makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. My first, my first response is I'm not sure. I disagree, but I'm trying to, for, you know, formalize it in my head. That's okay. I, I'm okay. <laughs> so with, Mike, if you can, I'm okay in, with this. I'm okay in. with disagreeing. I, 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 I yeah, I, of course, I, of course, of course. I was with you, Brooker. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with that, but I can't explain why just yet. I need to, th- those, that's one of those things that I got to sit down and think about. Say, say say that again to me. So the idea that the redundancy of organs, like look at the lungs, like the lungs, you have a redundancy system where you go deeper into the alveoli and the, the little piece of the lung. And it's basically the same thing, self-replicating. So we live in a world of, of on at least a level like a self-replication. And so for me, it's kind of my thought is unless it's like a day and night thing, right? Like recovery training. But as long as we're training, I feel like that there should be some element of be able to relate this to what an athlete enjoys in the game as part of the game. Like Mike, you said competition. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's it right there, right? Like I don't think any of us would disagree. I just did a podcast with Brandon Bird not too long ago and who gets really incredible results, especially with what he's posting and speed results. And his gym is probably as for what I've heard and talked to him, one of the most competitive gyms that is out there in terms of there's so many PRs to be broken. People always competing with each other. And so Maybe that's just one example. But yeah, that's where I'm getting it is something from competition should be there mentally, physically, emotionally, some level should be there with you in training, something that signifies that. I mean, if they're always practicing their sport, which is the only thing that they're actually, that's really going to make a big difference. It's, it's always there, right? I think we have, we should also start diving into the beliefs that certain people have too, because you have like placebo coming in a lot. Like I've got a couple guys that I perfect example. I had a skier here today, very successful female skier. And before a competition, all she, she wants to do is some yoga poses as soon as she wakes up in the morning. Now, okay, maybe there's some like unilateral stuff and some bilateral squat when she's popping up off of the floor or something, but there's very little crossover into that. And even the mental state that she's in, during yoga is not her kind of style. You know, like some, some skiers, they, 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 they like to be really relaxed. She's not like that. She's like a kamikaze going straight down. So physically and mentally, there's not much crossover, but that's part of her. That's part of her thing, mm-hmm. you know? And she's like, she needs that. That's her routine. Otherwise she doesn't feel like she's, she's open. She's ready. And she's sort of in the right state of mind. So I don't know. I mean, the the only thing that I really do know is that you got to do the sport to get better. And that's about it. Like if you've never played American football before, like me, I never played. 
I don't think I'm going to be very good at it if I just go straight into it. But maybe there'd be an example of someone that <laughs> that, that they are a natural and they could just go fit into the model straight away. I, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. So I will argue that too where I don't know if you need effort in training or significant effort in training to yield an adaptation. Uh, let's Let's take squatting for instance. If you have someone that is a mediocre squatter, mediocre to intermediate squatter, they can get stronger without having to have high intensity, without having mm-hmm. to max out submaximal lifting. I've had guys not squat above 85% for 10 weeks and PR. Mm-hmm. I've done it. And I was I was a I was a decent squatter. Like my best squat was like a 520 uh box squat when I was younger and really, really in shape. And then when I graduated from school, I set my max at like 405. And then I did, I don't think I went above like 315. And then I ended up PRing at 575. So I didn't put much, I showed up. I had a, I had a kid, Dougie Fresh. Remember Dougie Fresh? <laughs> this, this, of course, uh, I, I used to Dougie call Fresh. this kid Skeletor. He was skinny as <laughs> hell. He couldn't, man, he got buried by 135 and everyone at the gym left him. They said, no, no, no. If you get buried by 135, like just, just <laughs> let him fucking bury himself. Like no way. He'd let him die there. Right. So I had that kid up his bench in 12 weeks. I think it was 12 weeks or so to 225. He had never sniffed 200 pounds and His workouts used to take three hours. This kid did not like working out. Didn't like working out. He'd show up. He'd do a couple of sets. He'd sit down, do a couple of sets. And I remember talking to DeFranco. DeFranco was like, yo, there's no way this kid is going to PR. There's no way. I said, Joe, I'm I'm telling you, bro, he's just doing the minimum amount of work. That's all he needs to do. Watch. And sure as shit, I think he PR'd by like 50 pounds on his bench. And there was nothing intense about this kid's workout at all. So I don't think intensity during training is necessary. I remember when Andre de Grasse won the silver medal in the 100 and 200, Stuart McMillan tweeted out that not once during the preparation did he run maximally. I don't think, Brooker, do you remember that tweet? It was something along those lines. It was something like that. He he didn't run at 100% intensity once that year. It was all 90%, 95%, something like that. So that's a silver medalist in a sport that is all about intensity, right? Like you, you, that's, that's explosive. 100%. You think who's the most explosive person on planet? Let's think hundred meter. Let's think 200 meter, right? Like that's, that's what people think. Speed explosion. So I don't know if it has to be intense like that. I think there just needs to, I, there just needs to be a certain volume of work put in and then and they, there's there's other weird shit. I mean, I had a I had a swimmer who was sick in the lead ups to a championship. Wasn't eating. I think they said they had two pieces of toast the morning of the the race. Hadn't eaten for a couple of days. They PB'd. <laughs> I've also I've also seen certain things. I mean, and we've all experienced it ourselves. Stay like if you just fall in love, or if you have a kid or something, and you've got this otherworldly energy about you too. You're able to do things that you normally you wouldn't you wouldn't even dream of. So there's all these 
there's all these weird things that are going on and I, I, I definitely can't explain it. I don't know. I don't know. And the more you start diving into different things, like, like I, I'm fascinated with the placebo effect. Placebo works when people know that they're taking a placebo. It mm -hmm. still works. I mean, I, I've got no idea. I've really got no idea. And I, I'm sure that the people that are listening are probably like, this is the most boring thing ever. You're saying that you don't even know what <laughs> gets people better. But I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I've got no idea. Yeah, I've, really I've been doing no I've been doing body work for years now. And there are certain guys that I do body work on that no matter what I do to them, they get better. No matter what I do. And when we were in clinic, I, I had to do like a thousand clinical hours for acupuncture. When we were in clinic, we'd see people come in for anxiety or for shoulder pain or for neck pain. And I'd see some of these treatments. I'm like, yeah, these are, these are terrible treatments. But the people would come out mm -hmm. feeling better. Why? Because they believed they would. Yes. I, 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 I agree with that 100%. And I'd like to get into that. So I'd like to maybe close out this a little bit in, in a bit, because this is actually a really good topic. So I don't want to like let it die here. And just because we all, we, you know, maybe we say don't know or we have a little, because actually I want to unpack this. I have some thoughts based on what you guys are saying. And then let's get into that, some of that mental and belief, because that, that's huge. Because I've seen that as well. Like, why is the athlete who's chronically in the training room for their back getting hurt and nothing seems to, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's where you have to go that extra layer. You have to go into the mind and cause so much stuff. And like you said, Brooker too, I mean, I've, I've read like the cure within one of my favorite stories in that book is a guy, I don't remember. I wish I remembered his name, but maybe like a 50, hundred years ago, a guy who swore that this bacteria was harmless and it was like a super live bacteria that would fuck you up and just drank it in front of everybody and said, basically, fuck all you. And he didn't get sick, didn't get hurt. Nothing hurt him at all. He believed with his whole heart that it wasn't going to damage him. And so stuff like that blows my mind. I love that stuff, by the way. And that's why I, I want to get to that on this back end. But uh, Mike, as to what you're saying, like, I get it. Like, I, I, Easy Strength is one of my favorite books. And the mentality of leaving reps in the tank and even, yeah, like the submaximal effort. I definitely understand that. I guess my thought would be, I mean, yeah, who knows? Like you say, like with the speed, what if you never tested yourself? What if it was always a relaxed effort and you never competed? You know what I'm saying? I know at Altus a lot, I know, I believe at least they at least do a lot of like short, you know, sprints where people are competing against each other, but I don't, I don't know what that situation was and I've never been there. So I, but I've, I've heard that at least. So my question is, is at least there should ideally at least be some point where you're testing yourself, competing yourself, but maybe that's not the point. I know with the lifting, I mean, you're right. I've seen, I've, I never, my, you know, last eight years as a strength coach, we barely ever maxed out or went above 80% ever. And that's been a big thing for me. But maybe maybe on one level, maybe there's certain criteria that would fit that. I almost look at it like a buckets approach, right? Like if there's these pro athletes and they're doing all their skills and then there's other buckets that we need to fill, right? The tendon health bucket, the mobility, you know, joint, using different joints bucket. Those, If it's just filling those other buckets, like I get that. I get that. I don't know. I mean, it, it's rudimentary. It's not a lot of their training. You just need to do it. You need to stay healthy. I get it. I guess maybe what I'm talking about more is things that really try. If you look at Bonderchuk's, you know, pyramid, and we look at like the things that are more on the top of that pyramid, maybe that's more where we're talking about in those closer and higher transfer order things. Maybe once we get into the rudimentary, you know, Derek Evely talks about some of that stuff as the antivirus. I don't know if it's an antivirus. Maybe if we're looking at a yin yang day and night, maybe that stuff's more night. I don't know. You know, maybe, and maybe it's a different mentality now. I don't know. I, I just think that 
So I, I, I understand what you're saying is, is what I'm saying. I guess just maybe, maybe it just depends a little bit on where you're on the pyramid too. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? For sure. And it's the <laughs> shittiest answer ever, right? Context is everything. Yeah. Don't, don't you say that. Yeah. I, I demand a more detailed answer. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the fuck do we know? <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, I've seen guys get better doing horrible shit, horrible shit, things that should hurt them, but they leave every workout thinking that this is helping them. I've seen, you know, if, if you believe it, what, who am I to doubt you? Because what do we know? What do we know for certain anyway? How much do we genuinely know for certain? Yeah. Yeah, that's what um, Dan John said this last time he was on my podcast. He said, has anyone actually proven, I think he said this in the context of like throwing discus and shot, but maybe it was just general. Has anyone actually proven how lifting weights and increasing your squat, like physiologically, neurologically, actually helps you throw you know, the implement farther? I mean, you could just say, oh, it's more muscle, it's more neural drive, it's more this. But I, I don't think anyone's actually formally shown exactly how that works but i mean we all know it's helpful if you're a thrower but i just think it's yeah it's an interesting Mm -hmm. statement Mm -hmm. it is and i i'm as the time goes on i get really careful what i what i believe in and i think there's also a fine line because it's important that you don't just believe in nothing as well so i like mix and match between the two of them because if you really get into this idea that you think you know that this is going to work well what happened what happens if it doesn't and what happens also if you're limiting people from exploring different stuff like i i kind of like that idea like rather than like me being an authoritarian with with my athletes i really like try to listen to them and get their bits too like what do you think you need to work on and how do you like this idea and have you got some ideas on how we can build this up and and really try to work together with them rather than like I've, I'm the, the gatekeeper of the information and it needs to be, I need to have seen like this peer reviewed study to, to, to do it and different things. You know what I'm trying to say? But at the same time, sometimes I get into the mode of like, what the fuck and throw everything up in the air and none of it really matters anyway. You know, there's so much uh, evidence that, you know, you, so many people have done so many crazy things and it doesn't really make much sense with the models that we have. But at the same time, there is still some value to it. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we need to go on because I end up just going into this mode of like, I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's all I'll title this show. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Michael Dango and A lot of downloads yeah. coming your way, bro. Alex yeah, Berger, right. yeah. <laughs> That'll be, it'll be know, the I most. Would, I, Joe, man, I would love to be, you know, and also like some of the questions that you asked, you know, it was funny. I was looking at them a little bit before we started and, you know, I would also love to, you know, you, you had one question, how do you mentally assess some of the people that you work with? I, I, I don't, I don't. And I would love to be able to give you a textbook that, textbook answer you know it, there's there's five key things that you know and athletes all they all have these five i don't know there might be some of that and maybe someone else can uh, can can counter that but i don't know and i think there's so much individuality and so much stuff that we've got no fucking idea on at all and just trying to uh, be okay with that and in this uncertainty you know with everything I'm trying to like manage that and also really try to be honest to myself and to the people that I work with that this is all ideas and 
you know, I, I really can't give you a hundred, like a, a great sales technique. You know, you're with me for four weeks. We're going to take this lift from this and then that's going to transfer straight away into skiing, for an example, because the movement's basically the same. You're going to be a better skier if we get you squatting heavier. Uh, maybe a bit at the beginning, but how much of it is also the belief and, you know, do you know what I mean? It just, it gets so messy the more that you dig into it. Yeah, to, to piggyback that a little bit, uh, when it comes to the science of doing this and, and what works and what doesn't, I'm pretty good at getting people out of pain, right? Whether it's, again, placebo or whether it's my ability to lengthen, strengthen, you know, increase proprioception, whatever. That being said, I don't believe that there's any specific way to go about doing it, you know, whether it's needle intervention, whether it's exercise. Uh, we, we, we had a, um, a physical therapist on our podcast. His name is Michael Hope. He's a physical therapist. He never puts his hands on a patient ever. All he does is exercises with them. He doesn't do any soft tissue mobilization. He doesn't use stim. He doesn't use ice. He just has them do, do exercise. This is a physical therapist with a license to put his hands on people. He doesn't. And he has a great success rate. I have guys that, again, I work on them, they feel better. I have people that I work on and don't feel better no matter what I do, mm -hmm. whether it's cupping, needle, stretching. It doesn't matter. Sometimes these guys just don't want to get better. Yes. Uh, but there's a little mental checklist that I have. One of the reasons why I am successful in some of my ways to help people get feel better or no longer feel as much pain is because it's based off of probability. And that's what that's what people need to re realize is nothing is ever proven. It's only there's only a suggestion of probability. Right. So, hey, I got lower back pain on oh, my head. That's probably your glutes, whether it's glute medius, whatever it is, could could probably be your glutes. So if I work on your glutes in one way or another, there's a good chance your back pain is going to go away. Why? Glute medius. Typically, if that's not firing right, the QL is not going to be right. So I work on that. That's the first place that I go to. If that doesn't yield any benefit, okay, where do I go from there? Uh, let's check out the hip flexors. So it's all, everything I do is guess and check. And I go most common to least common. And it's a shame sometimes the least common is the first thing that you should have done. You work backwards, but you just go based off of probability with things. And if you have enough volume, enough data collected, the probability of your lower back pain coming from this is X. I should be documenting most of this and, and actually statistically analyzing it, but I, I don't do any of that. I don't know. Does, does, does that shed any light on it, on, on, on how we feel about it? Um, I, I mean, I, the thing that struck me the most, and I like that you said this before, Mike, was just that uh, it's almost like the starting point with all therapy. And well, I, I love the movement anecdote, too, the therapist who only uses movement. And I, I, just because I've, I've heard other coaches, actually, Adarian Barr, who's been on this show has spoken about that when I've done sessions with him, um, in the past in person and just like, just, just move, just, you know, just, and to me, it's almost like this combination of belief and the subcon power of the subconscious and whatever it, whatever is the stimuli, whether it's, a um, you moving, whether it's someone hand, someone's hand on you, it's a acupuncture needle. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of power to just believing that. And I know one of the interesting things with back pain, I don't know this, remember this stat, but something like 80% of back pain is 
psychosomatic. I mean, I just couldn't tell you. Like, we I've seen athletes who just on the clock on the clock every year, two three months before like the the national meet in the training room for a back issue. Like, it's just like, was it the training? Like, no, no. I mean, it's it's and and I think that fits with those at those athletes aren't going to get their subconscious isn't telling them that they're going to get better. It's just like, it's a, it's an out, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a crutch or whatever. So I, I you know, it's not unusual for people to get prescribed antidepressants for back pain and mm-hmm. they work really. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, uh, what was it? It was, um, Douglas, Douglas Hill, when I was going through like the be activated back in the day, I went to a few of those and he was talking about how there was some study, I think it was in like a, like not a psychiatric ward or maybe some sort of like mental type health situation, but they had people doing glute training to, and they improved their like confidence and like, you know, less depression <laughs> or something like that. Cause they did more glutes. And like, if you look at like a mind body, like glutes is like the seat of personal power or something like that. So maybe there's something there. I don't know. I don't know how that study, I want to find that study, <laughs> but uh, all that stuff is it's, it's super interesting. And I totally believe that with the antidepressants and back pain, it makes very perfect sense based off what I've seen. And it, something interesting I think about too is I think we should all have this, we should all follow our curiosity too. And I mean, there's also a limit to that as well, right? Because we shouldn't do, we shouldn't be irresponsible with it. And we've got this sphere of competence of what we, we should do and shouldn't do and certain things, right? But at the same time, I mean, say like Mike, imagine Mike just stuck to what he was doing before and really kept himself in the box and never branched into say like, acupuncture i mean what a waste you know yeah. what a waste why are we trying to make everybody think the same do the same i mean and i uh, but then on the same side i also see that it's cool to have things standardized and make sure that you don't hurt people and mm-hmm. stuff but i think that we're missing and we're lacking so much in just this creativity and 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 learning by doing with certain stuff and we're all so different i mean the three of us right now we're completely unique you know, and by having that, 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 that space, we might find that we're, we're doing certain things that have a great impact. And me and Mike might do the same technique on the same athlete, but have two different responses because of the way that that person perceives one of us. I mean, if this, if mm-hmm. say like Mike done one yeah. of these interventions and they know Mike and Mike comes in with no shoes on and looks like some sort of, you know, terrorist Buddha guy, right? They might have a great response to him, but with me, they're already like, oh, I don't like him. He's English. He's, you know, ginger. But you know what I mean? So there's so much stuff. I mean, for me, it, it gets overwhelming sometimes because it's so hard. And I think it's really nice if, you know, also one of the questions you asked was, you know, how did you, how did you, you, you branch into these alternative stuff? For me, and I think also for Mike too, is really about curiosity and not, um, and not feeling like we had to do the same as, as as everybody else. And I think because me and you have always been in the private sector, even though we've worked with teams and different things, that's been a, an absolute blessing for us because we have had that space and freedom. And it hasn't been like, no, you can't. It has to stick within this uh, this program that we have already set up for you. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's it's based off necessity. I mean, I we, we were able to branch off or we had to branch off because – I mean, we got to wear so many damn hats. Can't just say, go to the training room, you know? So people, people always say, oh, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. You know, this is, this is your scope of practice, whatever it is. Well, I I just didn't have that luxury because I had guys that didn't have any money. 
Guys don't have money. They don't have insurance. They can't go to physical therapists. How am I going to help them as best as I can? Well, you know, you need a massage. Massages cost 100 bucks a session. These guys can't afford to pay me. When I first trained Chris Hogan, he couldn't afford to pay me. Couldn't afford to pay me. Right? So how did I train Chris Hogan later on? Right? Like I, I had to wear a lot of friggin' hats. So we, we had no option. Me and Brooker had no option but to learn more and more and more. And I remember when I first went to acupuncture or was deciding to go to acupuncture school, I hit up everyone and their mother. I, I, you know, all these coaches that I know, all the people that we've had on our podcast, I texted all of them and said, hey, what do you think about me going to acupuncture school? A lot of them said, great. A lot of them said, sure, whatever. I'll never forget a, a really, really smart um, and and a well-known coach said, eh, I don't know. And I said, how come? I said, don't forget who you are and what you do. You're a strength coach. You got to work on this stuff. This is the important stuff. Like if you go and do that, you may forget about all of this type of stuff or whatever. It was, it was based out of fear. And I said, and I thought that way for a second. And I genuinely thought in those shoes and I said, what a closed fucking box to be in that. No way that it was that. No, that really pummeled me down the lane to say, absolutely. Because now I can wear so many more hats if need be, right? Like, am I going to be the world's best acupuncturist? No, no, I'm not going to be the world's best acupuncturist. However, there's not going to be another trainer that understands this better than me. So I'm going to know when to use it, when not to use it, if I should be the one doing it. And hey, refer out. But I still understand what the hell that person's doing. And I understand what you were going through as an athlete. And I can still make an adjustment and help you out as best as I can. Same thing with Brooker. With with the psychological with with the therapy psychotherapy, no one is going to understand. Like, man, when I first started training, people asked, "Oh, what's your major?" And I said, "Psychology," because everyone wants everyone wants a freaking therapist. They just want to talk. They don't want to train, right? So whenever you're doing one on ones and stuff, people are telling your problems, money problems, this problem, that work problems, wife problems, everything. So no one is going to understand how to genuinely help these guys better than someone who's properly educated in it. So why the hell not go and do that? I mean, that might be be, be going, getting a master's in, in talk therapy or social work might be my next step. Who, who knows? I mean, it, to me, it's taking off all the blinders, taking off all the restrictions and having mm. scope of everything. I want control of absolutely everything. I want to be able to do whatever the hell I possibly can to help this athlete the best way I can. Joel, have you ever heard of, um, do you know who Scott Adams is? Isn't he uh, the illustrator for Dilbert or something like that? Exactly, yeah. But he's a very interesting dude. He's a very smart guy, especially in terms of uh, psychology, right? And he has this theory of, um, or a concept called skill stacking. So let's say, like, for example, if 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 we're strength coaches, right? Well, there's everyone and their mother's a strength coach, right? But, like, now Mike has... For example, he's a strength coach and he's an acupuncturist. So now, if you stack them two on top of each other, he's much more unique than he than 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 the field, right? Let's say if he adds another thing in there, let's say he's an expert in public speaking or something like that, right? He adds that one on top. He becomes this highly unique individual that is going to be very valuable no matter what because 
the world is completely abundant and there'll be the there'll be a certain population of people that will be very very receptive to him and they're looking exactly for him and what he does what's also very good about you know i think the, the two of us is we've we've taken things that we're we're also they're like our god-given strengths like mike is good at pain and he had to deal with a lot of pain himself so he had to research a lot about that and i think that's also one of the the really cool things that we've been able to do is keep ourselves away from the the influence and that you have to be this certain way because our identity is not a strength coach right it's like a lot of people if you say to them oh you do you're basically just a personal trainer and people get offended by it you know and and it's ridiculous because mike even though okay he does a physical preparation or whatever you want to call it an acupuncture Mike's never going to be an acupuncturist. He's Mike, and he's always going to be just this weird dude. But he does this stuff, and he's 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 open that he's going to just continue to learn, and it's going to always add to this experience yeah. into who he is. And I think that it, we're really lucky that we haven't had a job that we have to – our identity is our job. And I think that's – if I see it, I think that's a really key key point to us. Yeah, yeah. I, I Graduating school – I got into a conversation with either a professor or a student, and I I had said, yeah, I won't ever label myself an acupuncturist. They said, well, why not? Why why won't you? And I said, well, I, I'm not an acupuncturist. I can perform acupuncture. I can perform needling, right? Needle intervention, I can evaluate you from a, a Chinese medicine perspective or a Far East Asian medicine perspective, whatever whatever my major is now. Um I can do all these things, but that's not who I am. I'm not Mike Wodango, the acupuncturist. I'm not Mike Wodango, the trainer, necessarily. You know, it's it's just I have all these tools to help you with human performance or, I mean, even in pain management. Whatever, I, I, I just want to problem solve. That's And I think that's what we need to do as – I guess we kind of took this one off the rails. But I, I, <laughs> I, I think that's what we need to do as – physical preparation coaches or trainers, whatever. I don't know. I, 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 I couldn't care less about labels. It's just my job is to help you as best as I can with whatever you walk in through the door with. Yeah. Make you feel better than when you've rocked up. That's yeah. the truth that I've come down to. Yeah. I think I, what you said, um, Brooker, I, I like this. Um, so I, I think about this. You said that Mike had struggled with pain a lot. I'd imagine, you know, you have, have gotten into hypnotherapy and I'd be curious as to why you got into that. I'm sure it's a reason with your interest in the mind. I look at how I approach training. It's like, okay, we all have, yes, we can coach the lifts and movements and human, you know, injury prevention movements and biomechanics. We can all do that stuff. Now what else and why, why did you choose to get there? For me, I, I like play. I, I've just always loved to play and move my body in different ways. And mm. so you'll see that in my sessions. Cause I've just, I did break dancing when I was in high school. Like I just love that stuff. So it, it just worked for better or for worse. Like I don't make my athletes break dance, but there's a lot of stuff that is movement potential related because of that, um, interest of mine. Um, and then even like the mind too, I, I sucked relatively speaking at high school basketball relative to how good I was at track because of my mind. If it's a closed chain track scenario, yeah, I'm fine. But as soon as it's 
there's a lot of open chain stuff and by open chain i mean like mental open chain belief system my insecurities why i started playing in the first place that's also led me down the mental path like i'm not certified hypnotist but i use hypnotism hypnotism on myself i recommend it to my clients so that's where that that's why i became what i did so i'm curious actually and mike i know i you know alex just mentioned it brooker just mentioned about you and pain but i'd be curious a little bit more about you guys's backgrounds on the back end of this show just to hear from you guys on why did you guys end up in the stack that you've created a little bit more on that i think it's just a consequence for me it's just been a consequence of the different experiences that i've had that was basically it. I mean, I built I built a fantastic relationship with a great number of athletes in Swiss before I left and went traveling. And my point was I was going away and I was never going to come back. That was my idea. It wasn't long until my phone's blowing up and guys were saying, they, everyone supported me going away. It wasn't like I just dropped everyone. I gave a year preparation for everyone to get to to transition that I was going to leave, right? And it wasn't long until, like I said, my phone's blowing up and people were saying, can you give me programs or uh, not just the program, but can we just talk a bit more? And then I started realizing, well, there's something more to just what I was doing than just sets and reps and do this exercise or do that. And then due to the, to the limited connection that I would have, I would try to have the greatest impact because that's kind of just the way I am. If I'm going to do something, I try to do it the best I can and to the greatest extent. And then when you, people start asking you certain stuff, it's funny at the beginning, I was always like, well, I'm not really, I'm not a psychologist. I don't really know. And it's what I say, is it damaging to people or not? And if you'd say to them, Hey, listen, I think you should go and talk to someone. Half the time they don't because they're talking to you for a reason because they feel comfortable with you. So then it just started being like, well, if people are going to start talking to me about different things like this, and I'm going to ask them the questions that intuitively come up to me, but then I don't know how to steer them in different things. And I don't understand so much of the theory. I really owe it to the people that I work with because they are such great people that they even want to confide in me or, or talk to me about certain things. So for me, it was just, just living life and just the consequence of living. Mike, you go into your, uh, I mean, Brooker mentioned it, but a little bit more about your history of pain and how that has kind of made you the coach you he, are. He trained like a fucking idiot. And was <laughs> Is that, was that it? <laughs> you've seen these videos on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, they're cool, but he, you know, <laughs> should we put that in the show notes? We can put that in the show notes. Please send me the most idiot training videos that you have from your past, Mike, and we'll, we'll definitely post them. Well, how about me doing like a 55 inch box jump? with dumbbells right behind me. And I've never, ever hit that box jump before. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I could have fallen and smacked my head right in those fucking dumbbells. I mean, I, bro, I, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking to an evolved primate right now. Like I, 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 when, when it came to lifting, there was no weight I couldn't fucking lift. I think it was 190 pounds in college, 190 or 195 pounds. And I swear to you, I was the strongest college baseball player. I, I, I don't think that there was a college baseball player stronger than me in the country. Um, I, I was, I was benching, I don't know, anywhere between 365 and like 395, um, squatting over 500 pounds, deadlifting well over 600 pounds. Right. And, and jumping insane, insane heights. Like, I don't think when I, when I played, but my body took a toll. I mean, I herniated bulged uh, my, 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 Sophomore year alone, in one season, this is how fucking overtrained I was. In one swing, 
got herniated bulging discs, and then the MRI also showed degenerative discs. Uh, ended up getting some kind of biceps tendonitis in my shoulder. Got pneumonia that same fucking season. So, and I led the league in doubles that year. So every time I hit a double, I puked at second base. Like no bullshit. So I, and that's just one friggin' year. I would abuse the hell, abuse the hell out of myself. Um, so, I mean, I was, I was in pain. I remember I was in back pain with back pain, brutal pain for well over a year. And the first day I woke up without pain, it was like something was missing. And I was like, what? Something's different. I, I, the, I, I woke up in my bedroom in my parents' house. I was like, wow, this is, this is strange. I don't know how to feel about this. Uh, so I, and I've been in and out of rehab since I was 12, 13 years old, I mean, wrestling, I'd go to the ER once, once a month, you know, Oh no, I think Mike dislocated his back somehow. Oh, he dislocated his elbow. He hyperextended his elbow. I'd get MRI after MRI. So, I mean, this is, it's no mystery why I'm here. <laughs> that's hilarious. Do you think that this rant, I don't want to go off on this cause we talked about the general strength. Do you think that's why it kind of like helps shape your attitudes towards like Okay, it's not that hard to get strong. Like I was a beast, right? Like in you know, just the, and, and ended up getting hurt doing it. Like, do you think? I mean, that shaped how you train athletes more now, from like a you know more using a lot of general strength and rudimentary strength and those types of things. In, in addition, yeah, I mean, I got stronger. I didn't get that much better at rugby. That was that was the first bit, and then seeing other examples of it. To be honest, mm-hmm. so uh, but it, when I was younger, it did kind of help me, but. I don't know how much it did because I used to be an idiot and max out on squats the day before I played a game. And maybe that was like potentiating me for the next day. Cause I was too young and my, my, my level wasn't so high. So it didn't fatigue me or not. But yeah, for me, it, it was a, a very quick ceiling. It didn't get me. I just wasn't good enough. I wasn't sustainable. What I, the adaptations that I yielded were not sustainable. Uh, And only after my internship at Pittsburgh with essentially with Buddy Morris and James, James, the thinker Smith, um, the only after that, did I realize why Uh, it, it was, did I realize how simple my approach was and how I really didn't have to do what I did. I should have done more special exercises Mm -hmm. instead of focusing so much on the general. It didn't, it didn't dawn on me until that internship. Like what, what I was doing wrong, because I, I'll tell you what, though. I mean, I hit the shit out of the ball. Like I hit the ball friggin hard in the beginning of the season. It was great. However, like Bondarchuk uh, would, would say realization of sport form, right? He'd have his guys take creatine for X amount of time, and then they wouldn't realize sport form until they would already been off creatine for two weeks or so. And they had already had diminished mm. returns of strength. So. Their strength numbers went down, but their throws went up. How? Why? Right? So I, I got better at baseball as the season went on, but my power numbers went down. So what was I chasing? Right? I, the, the realization didn't, uh, that I was chasing the wrong thing didn't occur until long, long after I was done playing. So now, retrospect, I understand that, man, I could chase these numbers all I want, and I could have my clients chase these numbers all they want. It's not going to make them any healthier. And it's not going to make them any better at the sport. It may make them throw harder, may make them hit the ball harder, but it's not going to make them hit the ball. It's not going to help them repeat that throughout the entire season, sustain the efforts that we're trying to 
trying to produce and reproduce. Gotcha. Do you guys use special? Ex- I know I haven't like, don't think I've seen a video of it in your gym, but do you guys use some of Yes's special exercises and those things as you like, as opposed to games, like we talked about before, Mike? Uh, yes, stuff. No. Um, I utilize principles from Bondarchuk's over under, uh, weighted, unweighted stuff. I started oh, gotcha. doing weighted ball training, uh, weighted, weighted balls, like med ball work. And, and I bought different size baseballs, man, eight years ago before it became really, really big. And I had kids throwing, throwing pretty hard. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm such a schmuck. I should have stuck mm-hmm. with that with a lot of my guys because we would have done it responsibly. But I, I realized what I was doing and it was prematurely improving velocity and force output in a population that couldn't sustain the efforts. And I saw the writing on the wall later down the road that, well, if I get a kid going, throwing, going from throwing 88 to 94, that's nearly a 10% increase, 10% increase in an effort that they throw hundred oh, close to a hundred times in a single game, right? Whereas shot put, you're you're making what fifteen throws a day, not hundreds. So I saw, man, the 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 soft tissue associated with the, the connective tissue and soft tissue associated with these movements, man, this is not sustainable. These guys are going to get hurt. So I'm going to take a step back from this, and we're going to work on other things to build resilience rather than to build output. And it's, I do the same thing with my sprinters, or not my sprinters, my, my, my pro guys for the NFL, their 40s, yeah, their 40s will improve, but it won't be as drastic as when I was younger, because when I was younger, we were able to improve their 40s, and then they pull a hamstring at the second 40. Now my guys will run 1040s within 5% effort. So mm-hmm. later on down the season, or later on in the game, it's reproducible. Good so I've, I've, I've changed it up a little bit. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, we had talked about a lot of these different topics, so I was just curious how it actually had materialized in your space. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So quickly, kind of the I actually just kind of pulled this question out because I, I mean, not pulled. I just made it up. It's not on the list, so I'm going to ask it to both of you guys. Oh, That'll be our last question. Yeah, whatever. As you're evolving, uh, you know, these stacks. I, I love these stacks. I, I actually, it's kind of it would be so cool to think of like instead of just you get the CSCS or the CSCC or whatever, and now you're a coach. It's like oh, you have these blocks that of totally different things, almost like like we're talking about that. It's like, and again, I think it's more of a private sector thing, obviously, which is good. I mean, I'm in the private sector now, and I, I really enjoy it. And I could see more and more how that these things by necessity materialize. But in 10 or 15 years, where do you guys picture yourselves? Like, or, or, or end game? Like, where is the ultimate? I mean, maybe it's just a process, right? But have you guys thought about that, where you would want to be or think yourselves in 10 or 15 years? So one thing that we've looked at is we've, we've talked about with our podcast, right? We overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 10. And we've thought about, doing the podcast for the next 10 years. And we, we, I mean, we were strength conditioning guys or physical preparation guys, but we just had an artist on the podcast. You know, we, we, we want to have something else, right? It's, uh, we enjoy talking to people that are really, really fucking good at what they do. Mm -hmm. Like our background is this, but is that where we're going to go? I don't know. Um, is that or is that where we're going to stay? I don't know. We we foresee ourselves going in other avenues from that podcast perspective. However, from a strength coach perspective or a gym owner perspective, I really enjoy what I do right now. 
And one of the reasons why I, one of the reasons I became an acupuncturist or got a degree in acupuncture, um, was because you've seen old coaches and, and old coaches in their sixties, right? It's very, very tough to be a lively old coach that's constantly doing this day in, day out. It's, it's exhausting. And we don't, we don't have any kind of retirement plans unless you work for a university. If you own your own business, your business is your retirement plan. If I can do this, right, that's just me putting in a needle, I'll never need to retire. And I'll never get too old for that unless, God forbid, I get fucking Parkinson's, you know? So I, I can, 10, 15 years from now, I can foresee myself really honing in on the body work and getting very, very good at pain management, diagnostics, and really, I don't know, not, not coming up with a system, but coming up with a, refining my approach to, to getting people out of, out of pain and moving properly. Mm -hmm. I think everything kind of got thrown on its head with me because I recently become a dad. So that fucked a lot of things up really quickly for me. Um, and not so, not, not necessarily in a negative way, but more like what's really important. I mean, we've had so many fantastic coaches on our show and probably coaches that we're never going to be able to get the same results of. One of the best questions we ask, Mike asks it a lot is, how's your family life doing? For me, family is really important and I don't want to spend all the time uh, bringing up and working with other people's kids when my kids are going to need a lot of help. So, for me, it's, I really want to build, I have a, a facility here at the house. I'd like to build it a little bit bigger so I can hold a few more people in it, try and turn that kind of into a club. Um, I'd like to spend more time on different ideas that I find curious and really dive into more like creative work in this way, sort of like um, uh, challenging myself with different things like that. And overall, as a business, mm. probably... I know that experiences have a very big impact on people and they can sort of shift people's perspectives and their future direction in life. And I think a lot of the time people are looking for like these big moments. And I think there's a way that you can kind of create them. So I'd like to combine sort of training, the psychological aspects with different people using any technique necessary. And then I live in beautiful Switzerland and combine that with the mountains and maybe also... I'm like a wannabe adventurer, so I'd like to take groups of people to the desert or to the North Pole as an example and try to create sort of an experience that they're kind of looking for and then use evidence-based techniques to kind of have an, a great adventure, build great relationships with them and try to give them sort of as big an impact as I can. And however that looks like, I've got no idea yet, but that's that's kind of the direction I'd like to go in. and. Like Mike said, I hope that what I think is not even the close to the tip of the iceberg. That's that's what I'd like to think. Yeah, it, it, to piggyback one more time off of me asking the coaches, how's your family life? I recently saw a uh, post, like a meme or some kind of video on Instagram, and it resonated with me so hard because this is this is me. I work I, – I work hundred hour weeks, it, legitimately hundred hour weeks. And the, the post said it was like this wife talking to a husband who was really, really successful. And she said, everyone gets the best of you. And then we get the rest of you. 
right? And it shouldn't be like that. So 10 years from now, I mean, I, how much do I need to live, right? I really, I'm taking weekends off now for the first time in years because me and, me and my fiance, or my ex-girlfriend as I like to call her, um, <laughs> we're, we're going to go and we're going to do a lot of traveling. Like weekend trips here and there. I just I'm I'm about to buy a you know a four wheel drive vehicle, so there's nothing we can't do, no mountain we can't climb together, and it'll be fucking awesome. You know, I, I it's ten years from now. I, who knows where we'll be? I I know where I'd like to be, but I also know from an emotional standpoint uh, where where I do want to head. Good stuff. Put it this way, I, I definitely know where I don't want to end up. <laughs> Yeah, I could have asked that too, just as well. I could have just as easily asked that. Maybe a bit of more simple and concrete question, but anyways, (laughs) I know it's it's a good one. It's a good one, and I think, I mean, it's something that I think about a lot because, you know, we're really blessed that we're like the only animal that knows there's a future, and the future is really written by what we do in the moment now. So I really like to always make sure that I'm orientating myself towards where I want to go sort of reverse engineering it and really designing my life I, I I'm really big into that so it's a good question but it just it, you don't know also you know like the same magic that brings destruction and chaos and an unexpected event can be the same magic that brings you something that you never expected or a great coincidence or you know a, a person that comes into your life that can completely transform your life and your ideas and stuff so I you know, I have an idea kind of where I want to go, but then I'm really just kind of, it's like being in a river. I, I know I'm going in the sort of the right compass direction, but then I'm just going to let go. And if there's waterfalls coming up or if there's, it's going to be like a slow, lazy river, I'm just going to kind of let go and not grip onto things and try to really force it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think just being in, being in the present and the process, I think we'd say that of a yeah, lot of things process. in this field. Mm. So anyways, guys, uh, it's been a good talk. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy you guys' viewpoints. Uh, I enjoy that we don't see everything eye to eye, but I also enjoy the fact that we're all on interesting missions ourselves. So, uh, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure on this send and thank you guys for being on. No, thank you, man. Thanks Dude, for thanks listening for to us and putting up with us for, you know, <laughs> two hours saying that we don't know. <laughs> <laughs>that wraps up another show thank you so much for tuning in really appreciate you guys if you enjoyed the show you can leave us a rating or review on itunes stitcher whatever you're listening to and we'll see you guys next week with another great guest